Carolina, and this recording is from one of our church services. For more information, visit our website at churchofphiladelphia.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the message. If you have your Bibles, if you can please come with me to the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew chapter number 10. And we're going to start at verse number 37. When you have that, say amen. Matthew chapter number 10, starting at verse number 37. All right, and the word of our God reads, it says, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Amen. And that is the reading of God's holy word. Amen. And so today, you know, as we continue with our current sermon series, where we've been talking about, you know, upside down living with a kingdom perspective, we are talking about, you know, just looking at things, you know, the principles of the kingdom and applying them to our lives. Amen. And so when you think about the principles of the kingdom, uh, the carnal mind can't necessarily understand the principles of the kingdom, how we're supposed to live. And, and, and just like the title of the sermon series, it is, in fact, upside down living. It is a reversal of everything that we would do from a carnal perspective and how we're living as Christians or believers inside the kingdom of God. Amen. And so as we talk about today's message, today's message, we're going to entitle this the cost of discipleship, the cost of discipleship. What a sub topic talking about trust your training over your over your experiences so i want you to trust your training over your experiences and um this thing hit me in the pit of my spirit on the other night when we had evening devotion when our very own other mckinney mk uh, affectionately known as mk uh, she began to talk about a conversation that she and i had and uh you know it was something that they were going through within their family and and, and she asked me about the situation and my response was i don't know She's like, well, how do we navigate through this? And my response really was, I don't know. I've never seen anything like this. I've never experienced anything like this. But I then also begin to follow it. But what I do know about God, what I do know about God is we can trust God. If we trust God, God has a way of, of, of coming in and, and creating a way or coming in and providing or coming in and healing, whatever the case may be. And so from that, we came up with this, uh, this understanding where we have to trust our training over our experiences mm -hmm. and, and think about it the different experiences that we go through in life typically these are the things we learn or we gain knowledge from the different experiences that we go through in life now i'm not knocking that i'm not knocking that life will teach you some things but i would rather be taught by the teacher of teachers and that is jehovah almighty i would rather be taught by him the master teacher and so as i allow his holy spirit to give me knowledge you know and most of us we we, we don't necessarily get the knowledge or the understanding that we are that's so readily available to us because we fail to do the simplicity of things and that is just simply asking god to give us wisdom or asking god to teach us matter of fact david talked about in the Psalms. he said god teach me your ways and so understand even life itself time itself must come subject to god and so i i just believe in being taught by god you understand and i understand when i refuse to seek out the counsel of god because he is a counselor he's a wonderful counselor at that if we refuse to seek out the counsel of god we didn't understand that life can actually step in and teach you some things so, but I, uh, I'm of the mindset where I choose to believe. I, I, I understand as I live now, you know, uh, uh, a good, good bit of years now, I understand that uh, it's better to trust my training over the experiences. Amen. 
And so as we talk about the cost of discipleship, we're here in the book of Matthew, chapter number 10. And, and what I see about in the scriptures is, you know, uh, Jesus is now referring to the 12 as the apostles. And he's now given the power, the same power that he's operating to go out and cast out death devils, to heal the sick, and to perform all different types of miracles and things of that nature. He's given them a certain power, but he's also letting them understand that as you go out and you operate in this power, understand just like me, you're going to suffer persecution. But what he's letting them understand, it is a cost to be my disciple. It is a cost to walk in this level of power that I'm giving you for the sake of my name, for the sake of uplifting my kingdom, for the sake of the glory of God being revealed and how God is going to use you as a vessel. So he's getting their mindset prepared for what they're going to have to do as they go and as he begins to instruct them, as you go in and out of the cities declaring the gospel of God, understand that persecution is going to come when you go in and out of different homes. If they don't receive you, guess what? You're going to have to shake the dust off of your feet. So he's, he's getting their mindset prepared for, because he he's letting them know that it's not going to be a walk through tulips and roses. Listen, it is going to be difficult at times. Hence the title, there was a cost for discipleship. And what I understand, when you look at people nowadays, most people are looking to be paid. Most people are looking to be paid. They're looking to gain something. But guess what? When you give up your life for the sake of his will being done, it costs you something. And so understand, to become a disciple of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, it costs us something. And let's just be real. Some of us, to do his will or to give up your will in order to do his will, mind you, there's some things that we still want to do as believers. Oh, yes. But that's why we need the discipline of the Holy Ghost to help settle us, to maintain us, and more importantly, to keep us. So that we don't walk out here and find ourselves actually moving and slipping and sliding and falling and stumbling and bring an embarrassment or shame to the body of Christ or to our head, Jesus Christ. Amen? So, so I, I like that Christ is getting them prepared and giving them a great understanding for what it is that they're getting ready to do as now the apostles. They've now since moved from just being disciples, meaning they sat at his feet, they learned, they become learned and studied of him as he taught them. And, and this is the thing. It wasn't things that they actually were able to just experience. Now, we understand it was Christ who was walking around, casting out the devils and performing miracles and raising the dead and all of these different things. And now the experience that they had was there to simply observe different things. So we do understand you can learn some things by observing things and, 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 and being in the vicinity of things and hearing different things. Right. And so there was a, a, a vast level of knowledge that can come our way uh, by that particular means, right? But it's altogether something different too when we are actually trained in certain things, where we're, we've been uh, brought to a place where we've been disciplined in a certain area. And so what we see as the disciples, they're actually being trained or, or brought to a level of discipline for the walking out of God's will, for uh, the glory of God being seen in the ministry that they will walk out or carry out now as apostles. So it requires a certain level of discipline. Amen? So uh, in, in verse 37, it talks about, he says, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And, and what, what Christ is letting them understand is because of what I've called you to do, it is such a heavy weight. Hence, notice that the, the key word here, he said, uh, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy. 
right? And as we talked about the whole honor series, remember one of these particular words, uh, worthy, uh, we talked about uh, this particular weight. And so in the Greek, this word worthy is speaking to this weight, this value that is uh, uh, described by the weight of something, right? And so we see that there is a weight to the call that God has placed upon our lives, the anointing that God has placed upon our lives, and also for the will that he's called us to, his will or his purpose that he's allowed uh, to be manifest in our life. There is a weight that comes with it. And so going back, so understand, this is what I'm, uh, uh, let me go back to these definitions. When you talk about discipleship, right, discipleship is defined simply as one who accepts or assists, right? and spreading the doctrines of another. And so the key word here of one of those ones uh, that's going to be a disciple is that they accept. Not only do they accept, but they also assist, assist, right? They assist in spreading the doctrines of others. And so uh, if you want to quickly check where you are to see whether or not you are indeed a disciple of Jesus Christ, the first thing is, are you accepting his doctrine, accepting his word, accepting his will? And, and, and after you accept his will, his doctrine, are you then assisting with spreading his gospel and spreading, you know, uh, 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 the means of carrying or walking out the will of God? Uh, those are too easy, too easy uh, uh, checkpoints to see whether or not you're truly uh, a disciple of Christ. Because what I understand, there are many of us uh, uh, around the world who consider ourselves to be Christian uh, based upon the denominations, right? So if you go and look inside many other denominations, you'll find that there are indeed Christians. You know, I've heard one speaker say there are many Christians, but there are not many Christians, uh, or followers of Christ. Now, we understand Christians are interpreted as being followers of Christ. But nowadays, you can go out in the street, you can ask anybody. I'm talking about talk to somebody, they got a cigarette in their hand, they smoking, they're not even respectful anymore. I'm talking about they smoking. Used to be back in the olden days. Uh, Anytime a, a, a man of the cloth, woman of the cloth would come around, people had enough respect where they would put their beer bottles down, they would put their cigarettes down while they're talking to the man or woman of God, who they know that set man or that set woman who they know is God's anointing. Nowadays, uh, like we said, people will talk to you, they'll blow smoke in your face, they'll hold their beer, they'll offer you, you want to sit for this? You understand? Because they don't respect the, 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 the anointing of God no more, they don't respect the call of God anymore that high calling that holy calling that heavenly calling that god has placed upon our life it's it's a disrespect but we do understand that god is bringing a respect or god is bringing back an honor to the calling of, of his fivefold ministry his body amen so disciples are those who accept and assist uh, 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 in spreading the doctrines of another so are you accepting and are you assisting with spreading the gospel message of Jesus Christ concerning his will, concerning his kingdom. Are you accepting this? First, have you accepted it? Have you accepted the will of God for your life? And I'm not just talking about being a Christian. Because like I said, nowadays you ask anybody, everybody's, like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But to really be a Christian, uh, you know, and I'll take it a step further. To really be a disciple uh, is it, housed inside the uh, definition of it. I have accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I have accepted his will and laid down my own will. It's no longer about me, but it is about what he says to do. 
I'm no longer living for myself, but I now live for the glory of God being revealed and for the glory of God being seen in my life, not just in my life, but in the lives of those that are connected around me, uh, those that I deal with on a day-to-day basis, uh, seeing the glory of God be revealed in all the spheres of influence that God has called me to. That's my purpose in living now. That's the purpose that God is trying to bring forth for those of us who are truly disciples. And so it's not that I've just accepted God's will, accepted God's kingdom, accepted God's way of doing things, but I also assist in spreading God's message, spreading God's gospel, spreading his good news, spreading his truth, spreading his love, talking about his grace, talking about his mercy, talking about his power uh, uh, to save, his power to heal, his power to deliver. Not just that, but his keeping power. Right? So this is how we know that we're disciples. So it's not just good to be a Christian nowadays because like we said, when you look throughout all denominations and there we say when you step outside of the denominations within the body per se, you got downright folks who, who consider themselves just secular, just secular. Who would consider themselves to be Christian though? They would tell you they're Christian because they pray at now. Now I'm going to lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep they Christian. They bless God when they've got a breakthrough in their life. Not, not necessarily knowing whether or not this breakthrough has come from God himself or uh, this breakthrough has come from uh, the enemy. But they celebrate it. You'll hear, you know, unbelievers say when, when they've deemed something good is happening in their life, you hear them actually give God praise, especially those that have been brought up in the church, but straight away as they got old and wanted to do their own thing. It's nothing to hear them give God praise. It's nothing to see them raise their hand and thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Clap their hands. This is nothing to see, hear, or experience them do these things. But are they truly disciples? Meaning they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Master. They've accepted his divine will for their lives. Not just that, but they've accepted his way of doing things. And according to his way of doing things, they go about assisting with spreading his good news, his gospel, his doctrine. You can't, uh, this is the thing. Disciples are not laying down with folk on Saturday night and then trying to run into the house of God on Sunday morning or whatever day you worship trying to bless God. That's not what disciples are doing. Those are Christians. Disciples have surrendered their lives to Christ. They have yielded their lives to Christ completely. There is a total surrenderance to Jesus Christ. So understand, they're speaking about, or we're speaking about a total surrender when we're saying it is not about me. But in today's society, people have made it all about them. It's all about you. So you can look, like we see some of the craziest things on social media, folk want uh, different, their so-called friends, when they only know 13 of the 650 people that they consider to be their Facebook friends, they only actually know 13 of them. But they want all 650 of their friends to know what they're eating for lunch. Getting ready to eat this burger. Father, who cares what you're getting ready to eat? 
what have you told all your 650 friends about Jesus? How have you encouraged them? How have you inspired them to live? And I don't want to just say a better life, but live a sanctified life. Live a life that's worthy unto the Father. Live a life of surrenders unto the Father. Live a life that's revealing the glory of who God is. What have you done? And so that's discipleship. One of the other words that I, I, I wrote down and defined it was training, right? And, and in the Hebrew, training is simply defined as instruction. Instruction, right? So even when we talk about uh, uh, the being training, you know, well, we're trusting our training over our experiences, right? Training is simply defined in the Hebrew as instruction. But another definition for, for the word training is, it, it simply means something that's done over and over and over again to develop skill. Training is simply defined as something that is done over and over and over again to develop skill. Repetition, muscle memory, mental memory, right? Uh, and there I said, there were some people who trained themselves emotionally uh, not to uh, allow emotions to come forth out of them when they deal with tragic, uh, traumatic, or difficult, challenging situations. They trained themselves not to show any type of emotion, as if they're just numb to everything. You know, I honestly, I could say, I had kind of somewhat trained myself not to show emotion. In other words, look at it like this here. I cannot let them see any of my weaknesses because I don't want to give them anything to exploit about me. You know, there are obvious things that people were attacking, but I can never let them get to my heart. Because I understood my heart is where my strength comes from. If they ever get to my heart, they can actually kill me. They can kill me with their words. And I'm not talking about a literal physical death, but they can kill me by way of their words. So before I ever got into the scriptures and understood that David said, I will encourage myself in the Lord. I was already doing this. I had to do things like that to encourage myself. You know, when you talk about a spirit of suicide coming to uh, 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 at a young age, when you talk about a spirit of perversion coming at a young age and I'm having to tell my, no, I'm 100%, man. No, I'm attracted to women. I love women. And all these different thoughts that the enemy is trying to battle me with in my mind. How the enemy tried to make me feel unworthy of living at some. You know, I can remember around about the age of 15 is when everything really began to just take off. How the enemy really fought me with suicide, how the enemy really fought me with perversion. And I found myself battling. It became an inward battle. Daily having to encourage myself. You know, and I always thought uh, suicide was for different people, not, not people from the hood. We don't commit suicide. You know, and what I can say and what I appreciate about the hood, the hood taught me how to survive. The hood taught me how to get through difficult things. Oh, yes. It taught me how to get through difficult things. It taught me how to keep fighting in the middle of a fight, never to give up. So even while the enemy was fighting me, constantly fighting me day in and day out around the age of 15 with different battles, the hood gave me survival skills to fight. 
And one of those is what I'm saying. I began to talk to myself. I began to speak to myself. I was encouraging myself. Letting myself understand why I was worried. God made me. I'm his child. I'm his son. Even though there were many days I didn't feel like his son. Many days I definitely did not live like his son. So understand, some of us were prodigals a long, long, long time ago. We just came home. Thank God that we were able to come home. So again, understand, when you talk about this particular training, some of us have trained ourselves in different ways, in different manners. We've even trained ourselves to be, you know, antisocial. We tolerate people. We don't embrace, accept people for who they are. Uh, we've been taught all our lives, you know, if somebody wrongs you, okay, forgive and forget. You know, the reality, some of us believe we've forgiven, but you know, most certainly, without a doubt, you have not forgotten. And so now your thing is to deal with them with a, like, like they say, a long handle wooden spoon. That's not God. God doesn't deal with you like that. And think about how often we mess up in the course of a minute with God. Right. And and if indeed you are feeling far away from God, because some of us, we, we, we feel that we think that we believe that it feels like that, that God is so far away. Well, it's not that God is the one that is moved away. Just like we talked about last week in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. He, he that the writer saying how his soul will have no pleasure in any of us that draw back. So it's not God that's pulling away. It becomes us who stealthily, in a secret manner, pull away from God. Training. Simple, simple word definition in the Hebrew is defined as instruction. Another definition is simply talking about something that is done over and over and over again to develop skill. So that repetition, to build muscle memory, uh, uh, to develop those emotions, to get your mind right. Not only that, it talks about to practice the instruction. So my, strain, my training is to practice the instruction. And when you just simply define practice, practice is simply saying, I'm doing something over and over and over again. Think of it like this is like an athlete or for those of you who are engulfed in like uh, UCF or UFC, uh, whatever the case may be, uh, the fighters, right? Uh, for them, they have a training regimen that they do on a daily basis. And what they're doing throughout this training regimen is that they're, they're preparing themselves, getting their minds right. Uh, because guess what? Uh, even when you, if you've ever had a physical fight, um, you got to think. The physical fight, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm also liking this to basketball. Uh, a lot of people, we see the athletic superstars in basketball, but for someone who's played basketball, loves basketball, studies basketball, understands basketball, in reality, basketball is 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 90% mental. It's a 90% mental game, and then the other 10% is the physicality or the athleticism, right? But for someone who just sees what these athletes are doing as they come you know, and I'm skying above the rim, dunking, uh, you know, hanging in the air, shooting different types of uh, trick shots and all these different things, uh, skill with their dribbles and things of this nature right there. You got to understand that came from a daily regimen, a daily regimen. 
and where it really required that it didn't require that much effort to do of the physical things or the athletic things but like we said it's 90 percent mental 10 percent physical so just like you talk about being in an actual physical fist fight it's about your mental mindset being able to calculate what your opponent is going to do before they actually do something. So knowing how to outmaneuver, outwit, outthink your opponent, you know, before we even get to the physicality. Uh, I'm reminded, you know, Pastor Ivan, I would be talking, uh, there are different things that he asks me at times, like, you know, because he, he's learned different things about me over the time, like just uh, being who I am coming, coming from where I come from. Um, I never sit with my back to a door when I go into you know, public places and stuff, unless I absolutely have no choice. But even then, I'm constantly looking back, looking back, looking back. Not because I've done something to someone in my past that I'm afraid that they're trying to chase me down. It's just, that's a mentality that was brought upon. Or oh, I'll say like this, it's a product of hood life. You know? It's a product of growing up in the hood. Uh, you got to be ready at all times, you know, because at any moment, anything could pop off. And so in public places, I never sit on my back to the door because I need to see who's going to come in that place. And I have already scanned the whole atmosphere. I'm watching who's already there. I'm watching who comes in and I'm watching if something were to pop off, where, where will I go? What am I going to do? And if my children or if my family is with me, uh, again, this is why I'm watching all of these. I need to know what to do just in case something should happen. Now, my prayer is, God, I pray nothing or God forbid that anything should ever happen. But this is how I pray. This is how I just maneuver throughout my day. And, you know, he was saying, like, man, I never thought to do stuff like that. I was like, I just, man, I just. I'm just never, never comfortable like that in a place. And it's not that I live my life on edge or it's not that I live life uh, through fear or anxiety. I don't. I just make sure that I'm aware of what's going on around me. I just make sure I'm aware of the people that are around me. You know, because of all the different things that could possibly pop up. I don't know, a disgruntled employee or formal employee can come back to the job where they feel like they've been uh, wrongfully let go and they can come in and just, just explode in that place. I need to know what to do. I need to know if somebody just come up and just uh, unleashing bullets, I need to know where I'm going to dive. You understand? So, uh, training it is to practice the instruction so again when we look at being a disciple it's going to cost us to be a disciple what instruction has he given and so the instruction that we know that he's given the disciple was to go out and to declare the gospel to cast out devils to raise the dead to allow the glory of God to be manifest in their lives, to allow uh, the glory of God to now be seen and revealed in the lives of others as they encounter them, as they allow these people to be introduced to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he says in 37, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. They don't have that weight. They don't have that honor to be in that relationship with me, to dwell with me, to dwell with me in my kingdom. Because they love someone or they love another relationship more than a relationship with me as being Christ their Savior. 
now this is the thing he tells us god tells us in his word he tells us to honor our mother and father to love them to obey them so he tells us to love them so he's not let's not misinterpret the scriptures. he's not telling us not to love them not to honor them not to have respect for them he's saying you cannot love them more than you love me it's perfectly natural that you're going to want to love your father and your mother and as parents, your daughter or your son. But he's saying, you cannot value that relationship more than your relationship with me. And some of us, we're, if we're not careful, we have found and we have saw where parents have idolized children, wives have idolized husbands, husbands have idolized wives, and it becomes a very dangerous thing to where it's not just them idolizing them, but they become obsessed with them. And their obsession will lead them to do strange things, thereby say perverted things. So the thing is, you cannot love your father, you cannot love your mother, parents, you cannot love your son, nor your daughter more than you love him. Because if we do that, he's saying, listen, you are not worthy of him. You cannot have no honorable relationship with him as being your savior, as him being your Lord, as him being your master. He's saying you cannot have this worthy relationship. This, this In other words, Christ should have, since we're talking about this word worthy and it denotes this weight, he should be heavy in our lives. He should carry weight in our lives. When I think about some of the things that I'm introduced day to day, some of the things that I see, and when I say introduced, it can be something that I saw, something that I've heard. And it's not because I just willingly or willfully went to explore these things or curiosity got the best of me. Some days when, think of it like this here for me. Some days when I'm checking my email, I only know somebody sent something to me on Facebook because it sends it to my email. And if it's someone that I'm fond of, I will look at their picture. And because I have now opened up Facebook through my email per se, I don't know what's coming up on my timeline. And so guess what? There are certain things that may come up on my timeline that, that my eyes just saw, something that my ears might have just heard. And guess what? I've just been introduced to something, not because I willfully chose to partake of this stuff. Now, if I linger in it, that's something altogether different. Like, for example, we know uh, they're all kind of perverted uh, 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 type images and different things that comes up on, on, on your feeds, timelines, and all these different things. Now, if I see something and I choose to linger in that thing, stay there watching that thing, where, where, the, where, where the lust of the eyes can get grabbed me, or the lust of my flesh, or I can start dealing with vain imagination, or I can start dealing with the spirit of fantasy, and I don't cast these things down, or neither do I separate myself from this particular thing, that's me indulging in that now. So I understand I'm going to be introduced to something not because I just willingly or willfully went to go partake of it. But it still is my responsibility to separate myself from these things. All right? I separate myself because of the weight that Christ carries in my life. How much I honor him. Because of my honor for him and because of my, the love that I have for him, because of the communion, the, the devotion, the respect that I have for him the admiration, adoration, I think about, will he be pleased if I allow myself to indulge in this? Will he be pleased if I allow myself to linger in this? 
Will God get the glory out of this? No, that thing, I have built relationship with that thing that I'm, I'm allowing to entertain me. I have built relationship with it. And guess what? You, we say, guess what? Love is a four-letter word spelled T-I-M-E. Where I'm spending my time is an indication of what or who I love. So if I spend a, 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 a good part of my day scrolling through Facebook, scrolling through Instagram, TikTok, and all these other tweet, tweet, bird, whatever the case may be. This is the indicating fact that this is what I love. And when, if we have to go and look at our lives and do a comparison of the time spent, social media versus socializing with God, God is going to come up short. God is going to come up short. It's, it's fascinating that uh, the first thing people get out of, uh, when they wake up, and I'm talking about when their eyes open, and they are experiencing the grace and the mercy of God by seeing another day, experiencing another day. The first thing they do is reach open, grab their handheld computers to check social media. Not God, thank you for letting me see another day. God, you're so worthy. I bless your name for 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 uh, 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 life, health, and strength. For me being closed in my right mind, having activity of my limbs. God, I bless you, such a good God. None of that. We go and scroll to check social media. Well, because of the relationship that we have developed with social media, the ties that we have to social media, it is proved that we love it more than we love him. And when we do things like that, he's saying, you are not worthy of me. I don't have weight in your life. Anything can move me out of your life. And we know it's possible because what he wanted the disciples or the apostles to understand, there were going to be trials. There were going to be sufferings. There were going to be challenges that you're going to experience. People are going to reject you openly to your face. And most of us, because we don't deal well or handle rejection well, that's what he doesn't have that weight to hold us down in place. We would allow ourselves to be separated from him. He has to have a weight in our lives. He has to be heavy in our lives so that our relationship with him can be counted as one that is worthy. I don't know about you, but I want to have a worthy relationship with him. I've made up in my mind. I can remember you know, having an issue a couple years back. Uh, and it's not that it was an issue with my father. There were some things that transpired within my family. And, and I did not quite know where my mom and dad stood. But I wanted them to know where I stand. I wanted everybody in my family to know where I stand. And the Lord, that thing bothered me so bad. God took me to the scriptures in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 12, and where, where the scripture where Christ is uh, preparing himself and, and his mom uh, and his brothers, they come. You know, and they, 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 the scripture talks about how, you know, he's uh, 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 been made aware that his mom and his brother and his family wants to talk to him. He tells me, he said, well, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? Except them that do the will of my father. And God took me to that particular scripture because of what I was dealing with in my family. And what God let me understand, he said, your relationship with them will never change. They'll always be your mother, father, brothers. But your interaction may change. And for a season, my interaction did change. I let everybody know what this is. Listen, I stand for Christ. I live for Christ. I follow who God has placed as my leader. Everybody may not accept that, and it's okay. I have accepted it. 
because I understand and I know what God has called me to do. So, you know, my mom and my dad let me know they fully supported me. And, and, and that made me feel very, very, very good. You know, siblings supported me. And that made me feel very, very good that, you know, I was not willing to compromise my relationship with God. I was unwilling to compromise the will of God, the call of God, the anointing of God that is upon my life for the sake of people. What it let me understand was God had weight in my life. That if I did not separate myself because of my family, who are, who, who are near and dear to my heart, what it let me understand is, I understand there were going to be some people that would come into my life and they're going to go for whatever reason. But if I did not separate myself from Christ because of my own family, it stands the whole truth that I refuse to separate myself from him, from any other individual. And that's how we have to be. If it's an individual or is it a, if it's a thing, I will not separate myself from him. He has weight in my life. There is an honor that I have for him in my life. I would not love my father. I would not love my mother. And as a parent, I would not love my son or daughter more than I love him. He is first. He is first. So... The other thing, when we go back to these definitions, because uh, the, we're saying the title is The Cost of Discipleship, with a subtopic, trust your training over your experiences. So we've defined discipleship, we've defined training. Now the next word I want to look at is experience. Experience is simply defined as to come to a knowledge of something by living through it. To come to a knowledge of something by living through it. So you can gain an experience by basically living through something. That's how you get experience. And that's how most of us, uh, uh, we recount our experiences by what we've lived through. But you know what I found? That there are going to be some things that you don't actually live through. You don't know anybody that has lived through this. You haven't saw it up close and personal. And you, don't, and you will not have any experience to pull on. And it's in those moments that I don't have the experience to pull on because I have not lived through this. I have not seen this up close and personal. might have heard about it. Uh, uh, from, from a distant place, I might have heard about it, but it's in those moments where I would have to pull on my training. In other words, I would have to pull on the instruction, how I've been instructed. In other words, think about this here. Here at the Church of Philadelphia, the place where we're building lives through love, we have been instructed when you don't know what to do. Because see, when I don't have the experience, I don't know what to do. When I don't have the knowledge, I don't know what to do. But I don't have any understanding about this particular struggle, situation, challenge. I don't know what to do. But here at Church of Philadelphia, we've been taught when you don't know what to do, you pray. See, that's my training. That is my instruction. When I don't know what to do, I pray. When I don't know what to do, I take God at his word. I stand on the word of God because my training manual, that is the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, it has told me that his word is going to stand forever. His word is going to last forever. His word also declares that he is not a man, that he shall lie, nor the son of man, that he shall rich. So I can take him at his word. That's what my trainer, or that's what the instruction has come to me. So I trust my instruction, or I trust my training over my experiences. But life has taught me, as I've looked at the lives of those who come before me, life has told me, you are going to experience some difficult things. And even as Christ is letting his apostles know, there are going to be moments where you have suffering that you're going to deal with. 
But in those difficult moments of life, in those sufferings that you deal with, trust your training. Trust the instruction that I gave you. No, what he's saying, you can pray and things may not happen right then, but trust that I hear your prayer. Trust that I'm going to honor what you're saying. Trust that I'm going to work it out in my own time. And at my appointed time, I'm going to work it out. Trust that I'm going to deliver you. Trust that I'm going to make a way. Trust that I'm going to provide for you. Trust that I'm going to heal you. It's difficult, like we said, when you feel so far away from God. Right? And when it feels like God is not hearing you or it feels like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing back, hitting you in your forehead, it becomes difficult to trust God. But because I've been trained, there is muscle memory that I have in the realm of the spirit. In other words, even though it feels like my prayer is hitting the ceiling, my training tells me, pray again. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Pray again and believe God again. And, and, and when you feel like God has not heard you, you know what? Start leaping while you're praying. And, and when you feel like God has not heard you, then start running around the house while you're praying. And when you feel like God is not moving, then, oh, you ought to might get you a great hallelujah, get you a glory to God, get you a thank you, Jesus, get you a God you are worthy, and bless his wonderful name real good. You ought to get real loud. And see, there were times where I got to stop being quiet and I got to get real loud to let him know, God, you are such a worthy God. God, you are such an awesome God. God, you are worthy of my praise. God, you're worthy of my worship. God, you're worthy of my adoration. God, you're worthy. I let him know. I take it up a notch. My training tells me to take it up a notch. And I understand I get tired. We all get tired. We all experience fatigue. But again, going back to the athletic or the, 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 the athlete's analogy, it's, 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 it's in these moments Think about it. Uh, one of the greatest moments in sports history. Michael Jordan had a, a, a hundred some odd degree fever, playing sick. But this was one of his most greatest performances that he put on. From somewhere on the inside, he found the strength to will himself sick and tired. But he found the strength to will himself over his, his opponent. Same thing has to happen. Because not only am I fighting the, the, the enemy, Satan, but I also got to fight the enemy of my mind. I got to fight the enemy of my flesh. I got to fight the enemy of my emotions that wants to fight against my spirit man at times. I have to will myself to bless God, even when it feels like God is far away, when it feels like God does not hear me. When it seems like, looks like that, that the situation is not going to change, it's not going to work itself out for my good. But that's what my trainer says, okay, what did he say in his word? And we know, oh yes, that all things are working together for the good of them that love God, who've been called according to his purpose. It has to work together for my good because I love him, y'all. It has to work together for your good because you love him. And he has a purpose that he's placed on the inside of us. And so you got to trust your training over your experience. Even when you're experiencing difficult, hard times, trust your training that God is mindful of you, that God cares about you, God sees you. That's why he told you to cast your cares upon you because he cares about you. Trust your training. 38, he says, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. So he said, if you don't take this cross, and when we think about the cross, the cross is nothing more than it represents self-denial. If you don't pick up self-denial, 
See, we're too busy trying to be embraced and be accepted. We don't want to deny ourselves. We don't want to tell ourselves no. And neither do we want anyone else to tell us no. We always give me, give me this, give me that. I want this, I want that. But in the hood, they say, give me what got you here. <laughs> I had to look over at my parishioners over there. They're still trying to figure out what's gimme. Got you here. <laughs> you know, so understand your cross is simply denial of self. So he's saying, you got to take up this mindset. I deny myself. It's not about but it is all about you. When I think things ought to be different in my life, my trainer says, it's not about me, but it is about you. And this is the thing. Some of us will say, well, God, God allowed me to go to, through this because, you know, he's trying to reveal something, teach something, whatever the case may be. But a lot of things we experience is simply because of the decisions that we made, choices we made. And based on the decision and the choices that we made, he allowed us to make that decision or to allow us to make that choice. And because of that decision or choice that we made, this is what follows suit. So it's not so much that God is allowing you to go through things. No, God is allowing you to make choices and decisions because it's called free will. We didn't necessarily know because we're so fixated on instant gratification, instant satisfaction. We never take the time to see a thing through. We never take the time to engage our decisions. Well, if I do this, if I say this, if I go here, what is or what could possibly happen? See, now, I try, uh, for the most part, to engage my world like that. That's why I'm a very cautious person. I'm not an impulsive person. Like, for example, my wife was like, hey, uh, once we get married, we're going to go jump out of the airplane. No, we're not. You'll jump out by yourself. You'll jump out by, by yourself. And I pray nothing happens to you. When you jump out the plane by yourself, but the kid, the kid is going to keep his two feet on the ground. Why? Because my mind understands that, hey, that plane can go down. Hey, something can happen with my parachute. Now, what? Nah, there's enough risk that I have to take on the day to day. Why am I going to be just not about to do it? Not about to do it. Not about to do it. I don't, I don't have that type of excitement on the inside of me, that, that, that type of adrenaline rush on the inside of me. I'm, I'm chill. I, I, I like that steady. <laughs> that even kill just hey, let's just ride with it. It's just I'm in chill mode. You know what I found out before I got married and before I had children? I lived in chill mode. Now it's like I visit chill mode. I think having a wife and children has kept me on edge. It, it causes me to live on edge and not that edge where you're talking about that adrenaline rush. It's that living on the edge where I'm about to fuss. What the, f you know? Why you, you know, things like that. But I bless God for. 
they're still coming back full circle. There has to be that taking up the cross, that self-denial, a denial of self. And I'm asking you a question, why is it so hard for you to deny yourself? I get it. You embrace it as a sense of rejection. It's rejection to you. And who likes being rejected? So the reality, if you are not denying yourself, you're showing us just how much you struggle with rejection. No, but he said you got to take up your cross. Go pick up that self-denial. He said, and then follow after me. And when you follow after him, it is stating in the Greek that you follow the one that's leading you. But while you follow him, you are assisting the one that's leading you. See, if we were truly following after Christ and, and, and in us following after Christ, we were so busy assisting him, we won't have no time to think about being embracing all these different things, what you feel you did not have and what you want. Because your mind will be so focused on making sure I follow him. If he turns this way, I got to make sure I don't miss him turning. If he stops, I got to make sure that when he stops, I I'm not so distracted that I don't run into him. That's called keeping my eyes on him, being sensitive to him, and I'm assisting him. What do you need? There were some people, when you look at personal assistance, there were some people who are personal assistants, they are so good at their job, they know the person that they are assisting, they know what the person needs before they ever ask or may mention what it is that they believe they need or want. The assistant has studied their patterns, behavior, understand their personality, understand how this individual flowed, so they know this person like the back of the hand. This is how we're supposed to know God, by being in constant relationship with, know him, to be able to assist him in an effective manner. But for those of us that don't take up our cross, those of us that do not deny ourselves and follow him, he's saying, guess what? You're not worthy of me. You cannot have an honorable relationship with me. I don't have any weight in your life because you refuse to deny yourself and follow after me. So we're still talking about upside-down living with a kingdom perspective. See, this is that upside-down living. This is that kingdom perspective. The world tells you go find your voice. The world tells you go be heard. Not just be heard, but be seen. Because with social media, everybody can be heard and everybody can be seen whenever they want now. But in this life, he'll tell you to be quiet. Hold your peace. Yeah, when you want to tell them, I, 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 hold your peace. As if you really got good relationship with him, and you really understand you, like me, see, he'll tell you to shut up. He told me to shut up. Because he understand, I understand, shut up. That be quiet. Oh, ow. That be quiet rolls off my back. But sh shut up, Lincoln. Oh, I get that. Some of y'all are just like me. Be quiet doesn't get it for you. You need to shut up. You need somebody to tell you, shut up. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Shut up. 
Some of us need instructions, just a simple and direct, just like that. So there is no confusion. Go and apologize. Forgive them. Simple, direct instructions like that. So there's no confusion. There's no misunderstanding. Just like that. But again, take up your cross. Meaning deny yourself, but then follow after him. If not, you nor myself are worthy of him. Worthy to have that relationship with him. Now, again, he's saying you're not deserving of this relationship. Is this word worthy in the Greek? He's talking about deserving. It's also talking about having that weight, that value, or that worth. 38 says, and he that taketh not his cross. So for those of us that do not take, I'll set the night, right? And follow after him, he said, he's not worthy of me. He says, he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. So he that findeth his life shall lose it. And this is what people are trying to figure out who they are. And they're trying to do this separate and apart from Christ. They figure, if I indulge in this, if I indulge in that, if I start this business, write this book, you know, if I get this degree, uh, this job, this bonus, this type of salary, this type of recognition, uh, then, then, then I've discovered who I am. I'm a successful individual. And you know what? I found that most of us are busy looking for some type of success. And we tend to forget salvation. Or we're looking for some type of success and we tend to forget surrenderance. He that findeth his life shall lose him. And that's where most of us are. We're in search of who we are. Because we have not allowed the Lord to tell us who we are. Show us who we are. Because again, when you come into the knowledge of who God is, God then brings you to the knowledge of who you are. And after he brings you to the knowledge of who you are, he then brings you to the knowledge of what his purpose is in your life. So some of us are still trying to figure out, what am I here for? What is my purpose? And we feel so unfulfilled. Not because you're experiencing a midlife crisis. And guess what? It's happening much, 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 much earlier now. Where it used to happen in men and women, uh, 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 mid-50s, late 40s. is happening now with men and women as they hit their 30s. I'm telling you a truth. I experienced it around about 37. Didn't have a clue what was going on with me. I just know I didn't want my house. The house that God gave me, mind you that. I didn't want my car. The one that's paid off don't have a car, no owner. And there I say, I almost wanted me a new family. And could not pinpoint what was going on. Why am I having all these different type of emotions running on the inside of me? Why I can't explain this? 
Why well, feel the need? Why well, feel the urge to just go and buy something? Why well, feel the urge to just change something? I just wanted change and did not understand why all of a sudden I, I don't. I, this you got to understand about me. I can do the same thing every day. Like for example, I can get up and watch Sports Center at seven o'clock. Guess what? The same Sports Center show is gonna come on ESPN at nine o'clock. So I can watch what at nine o'clock. What I just watched at seven o'clock and be excited as if it's my first time seeing it. It doesn't take much to please me. Like, I, I don't have to have all different types of extract meals and different things. Like, no, I can eat the same stuff and I'm good. Doesn't require much. Doesn't require much. But I could not understand why there was this, this, this urge to just have change in my life. <laughs> that's, that's the time period when I had the red in my hair. Like, you know, that was, I can only change what I can change. So what I can change, I'm going to change. I know it wasn't God's will for me to change family, change my house, change my car. That just doesn't make any sense. So I began to change little things about myself. And that was just due to having a midlife crisis. Feeling there's still some things that are unfulfilled. And there were some of us, we feel that way. There's certain goals that you've had, you've reached them, but something in you is just, ah, I, I still do not feel satisfied. Got a degree. But then you had to go get the master's. And the master's didn't do it. Now, you feel you need to go get a doctor. You may accomplish that, but guess what? The doctor is not going to fulfill that void. It is only him. We go from relationship to relationship thinking, well, that wasn't the right person. This person is going to be right. No, it's not. You're dating the same spirit, just a different body. That's why, although the individuals look different, you keep getting the same results. Jesus must fulfill the void. He that findeth his life shall lose it. So he's telling you, you go and find your life separate and apart from him, you shall lose it. But then the words goes on to say, and he that loseth his life for my sake. Meaning, those of us that die to our carnal nature, his sake, this is where we truly find life. And see, this is upside down living. If I'm going to live, I must die. That doesn't make sense. How can you live if I'm dying? It's a kingdom principle. If you truly want to experience life, die to yourself so that you can live in him. So that you can live through him. Live with him. And live for him. That can only happen when you die to yourself. And the reality, most of us are afraid of death. That's why we equate getting older. We equate getting older. We connect it to dying. That's why you see all kinds of celebrities. They're trying to turn back the hands of time, using all type of symbols on their face. They looking like plastic baby dolls and all kinds of stuff. 
I'm talking about 72 years old and they had just as black as mine. What? And the father, you ain't got a gray in there? Oh, come on. Looking crazy. He says, listen, he that loses his life, you got to die to yourself. Stop being afraid to die. Because the reality, I've never saw a dead man or a dead woman be in control. They don't get to tell the embalmer how to, how to make up their face, how to do their hair when they're dead, what suit to put on them, what dress to put on them. I don't like that necklace. I don't want those shoes that don't match my outfit. No, I, I, I part my hair on this side. No. Mortician decides what you're going to look like. Because a dead man or dead woman, they are not in control. So what am I saying? When you die, guess what? Control dies. You give it up. Just like when Christ died, he gave up the ghost. Die so you can give up control. It's only when you die that you're able to live. So what am I telling you? Trust your training over your experience. And see, most of you, because you have not died physically, meaning you have not experienced it in a physical sense, you have no knowledge. You only have limited knowledge by experiencing death by someone in your family or someone that you know, by you uh, going to the funeral. You, you, you've experienced it in that manner, so you gain knowledge about it that way. But you yourself have not experienced dying. So you don't have knowledge of what it is to die. So because you don't have that experience, that knowledge, this is where you got to trust your training over your experience. And it is a cost to die. It is a cost to die. Me dying to myself is me giving up everything. When I die, I give up my ego. Oh, yes, yes, yes. When I die, I give up my reputation. Yes. When I die, I give up control. When I die, I give up influence. When I die, I give up manipulation. When I die, I give up deception. When I die, I give up rebellion. When I die, I lose who I am. I only live and experience life through Jesus. So I want to encourage you to live. And I understand it's going to cost you something to die. But it's worth it because you'll have a worthy, a deserving relationship with Jesus Christ. So it'll cost you something to be a disciple and not just a denominational Christian. But I want to encourage you, trust your training over your experiences. Even if it's something you've never experienced yet, don't have much knowledge about, trust your training. The instruction that God has given you through his word. Man.